Where do you go to find advice? The internet? TV? Coworkers? Friends? Family? These are all pretty common places to look for help. We all have those situations in our life that push us to do a quick Google search. Whether it's dealing with a burnt steak, a leaking water heater, or a car that isn't sounding so great, we could all use a little help. But for those situations that return about zero results from Google, or those situations that the fortune cookie just didn't predict, where do we go then? Those situations require more than knowledge. They require wisdom. It might be common sense to take a burning steak off the grill, but for other situations, you might need some uncommon sense. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Aaron Hickson. We're so glad you're here at Northridge, whether you're joining us online or from any of our Rochester area locations. We're so glad that you're here. A special welcome to all of our guests. Of course, thanks for checking out Northridge Church and for being here with us. We are in a series called Uncommon Sense. We're unpacking the wisdom of the book of Proverbs and applying it to our everyday life. And I think what's great about this series, one of my favorite things, is that you don't have to follow God. You don't have to love Jesus. This series will be helpful to you if you're willing to live out some of the principles that's what's so great about wisdom is that even if you're not really bought in, you can be living hashtag your best life by listening to what the Bible has to say in the book of Proverbs. So I'm excited about that aspect of it. Don't get me wrong. I think you should be all in and we'd love to talk with you about that. But I love that obeying God has some fringe benefits even uh, just because it's the truth. So, hey, let's jump in. Let's get some context for a minute. If you want to jump into the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1, we're going to be all over the place, but page 510 will get you into the ballpark if you're using one of our Bibles. But in week one of this series, our lead pastor, Drew, he talked about wisdom and the source of wisdom. And he said the source of wisdom is the fear of God. And that might sound weird, but that's because the fear of God is a proper view of God. And when you view God properly, you view the world properly. So that's the source of wisdom is the fear of God. And then we're applying it to some hot topics in our lives where we could use a little more wisdom. And so last week, Drew applied it to the topic of sex. This week, we're going to be applying it to the topic of parenting. In some sense, these topics are in logical order. <laughs> Dad jokes. Dad jokes. All right. So if you're a parent here today, we hope this will be helpful. If you're not a parent, please don't check out. I think it still can be helpful for you as well, because we're really going to be talking about what the goal of parenting is, like what you're hoping your kids will do or act like once they get to be all grown up. So this is a good chance for all of us, whether we have kids or not, to evaluate whether we've ever actually grown up or not. Because adulting can be hard. It really can. And so this is a good chance for all of us to just do a quick systems check to make sure we ever became adults. Um, and you know what I just realized? Today is Father's Day. Woo! Happy Father's Day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're talking about parenting, and that, that's like a big coincidence. Uh, it's not a coincidence. We actually planned it. But I think it was terrible planning because despite the fact that we knew we were going to be talking about parenting, they still gave me this topic. And that's an awful idea. Your boy needs all the help he can get in the, in the area of parenting. I'm seriously, we are in the middle of the battle right now, my wife and I. And I'm not sure we've got anything figured out. We have not been parents for very long. In fact, I want to introduce you to our kids. We have a two-year-old. His name is Grayson. Um, he's kind of embracing summer for the first time with the tanks and the ice cream. Um, so we, we like him, my wife and I, he's, he's a cutie, but we have a new addition who's one month old. His name is Lincoln. 
and he's winning the cute battle right now, let's be honest. Grayson knows that when he gives him hugs, he gets extra attention, so he's all in on that. And we only have one picture of the four of us together. It's because my wife is a champ, and she was hiking three weeks after she had a baby. So, you know, hats off to my wife. She's incredible. Um, so anyway, we, we, we're very new in this parenting journey. Those are our kids, Grayson and Lincoln. And I just want to say, you know, days like today, Father's Day, make me kind of step back and reevaluate my status as a dad. And sometimes I feel like the prognosis is not very good. We're going to be talking about parenting today, but I'm not doing it from some lofty position of having it all together and knowing how it all works. Whatever amazing hotspot volunteers have my son Grayson right now, they know that I am not an authority on the subject of parenting, okay? <laughs> the only thing I would say that I have the natural ability to do as a dad, and I don't mean to brag, but I have an intuitive ability to pick the worst possible diapers to offer to change. I, you know, again, I'm not trying to brag, but I have an uncanny ability to step into diaper maintenance at the worst possible times. Is there going to be more poop coming in the middle of this diaper change? It looks like a diaper for dad. Okay, or is there more poop than one diaper could ever possibly contain? Perfect. I'm in, right? So I'm not saying my wife isn't willing to handle these things. She totally is. It's just that 75% of the time that I'm changing a diaper, something absolutely unprecedented occurs. And it's really, truly terrible. It's about the only thing that comes naturally to me. The rest of this process, my wife and I are genuinely looking for all the help we can get, talking with friends, reading books, and trying our best to avoid as much social media parent guilt as we possibly can. And there is plenty of it out there, let me tell you. But I think there is something with parenting that we all know intuitively, whether you're a parent or a teacher, a grandparent, aunt and uncle, it doesn't matter. If you've ever interacted with a human, you've probably noticed that parenting matters. Parenting matters. This is just true. I you know there's the nature-nurture debate, and we all probably come down on a little different place on that. But when you interact with the rudest customer of all time, you probably don't say to yourself, huh, I bet he was just born really rude. No, you're like... Where are your parents? Were you raised in a barn? Can I speak with them, please? This is ridiculous. Or when your student won't listen in the classroom, they refuse to do their work. So you call a parent-teacher conference, and then the parents refuse to show up. You go, oh, I get it. Okay, okay. I see where he gets it. And in a different sense, and this is, this is sad, like nobody thinks of a child who's been tragically orphaned and think like, oh, that won't impact their life. No, that's ridiculous. Or with foster care, nobody thinks like, hey, let anybody become a foster parent. No, no, we recognize it's important and parenting really does matter. We, whether it's our own personal experience, even our interaction with our own parents, we all know that parenting matters. I don't think you need any stats to prove it, but I'm going to throw one at you anyway. This is a 2014 study that found children who receive, quote, sensitive caregiving in their first three years, not only did better in academic tests in childhood, but had healthier relationships and greater academic attainment in their 30s. Okay, this is not a Christian research group. These are just people in society noticing and researching the impact of not Superman parents, sensitive caregiving parents, right? That's not even necessarily a high bar, but we all know it gets, it makes a difference. We all get this part. Nobody thinks like, oh, parenting doesn't matter. What we're asking ourselves as parents is, we're not, not does this matter, but how in the world do I do this well? Uh, if you're like me, I spend a lot of time parenting, but not a lot of time thinking about how to parent effectively. So where do we turn? How do we figure out how to parent in a way that's helpful to our kids, possible for us as parents, and honoring to God? 
Thankfully, we have the book of Proverbs where we get God's insight into things like parenting. So it's full of uncommon sense. I want to direct our attention there to look at what principles we can think through and follow on this issue of parenting. Let's go ahead and check it out. And before we really even dive into the book of Proverbs, I need to remind you of something that you have to keep in mind anytime you're approaching this book of the Bible. And it's this very important thought that Proverbs is principles, not promises. As a book, it is principles, not promises. What the author is doing throughout this book is just noticing the trends of human life and distilling those trends into memorable, portable statements. But just like everything in life, it's not nearly as clean cut as it might seem when you're first reading it. Because we all know it's true that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So you ought to plan ahead. But we also know that we will cross that bridge when we get there. So we should just react situationally, right? If you're following, those don't work together. But we, bo- we think that both of those things are true. It's because those are proverbs that we all know. You got to apply them situationally. You have to w- know the wisdom to know when do these things work. We have to have discernment. So don't forget that when you're reading the book of Proverbs. If you forget that, you will end up in some crazy places based on just taking those at face value. We have to have a little bit of discernment. So the 30,000 foot principle I'm about to give you is one that doesn't probably seem like it's relevant to parenting, but I promise I'll work to connect it together. And uh, you'll see these blanks in your notes so that you can follow along. So the first thing we need to understand is that a person plus restraint equals freedom. Person plus restraint equals freedom. Now, some of you didn't write that down because it didn't show up on the bottom of the screen. So for your sake, can we put it on the screen for them for a second here? Okay. When I'm writing, you're writing. Okay. That's how this is going to work. We're not going to put it on the bottom of the screen anymore. Just relax. All right. It's going to be on the board. I know it's going to blow your mind. All right. So a person plus restraint equals freedom. What do I mean by this? Well, if you're like me, you tend to think that that principle is not the case. When I think of freedom, I think of the times of my life when the rules were gone. Maybe you're a high schooler here today, and first of all, you're wondering, when can I fall asleep? This does not seem relevant to me. And I would say, if you're smart, you should spend the rest of this time listening while smiling at your parents, because they're feeling really uncomfortable right now, and that'll make it better. Just like that, all right? Pro tip. Okay. But if you're thinking freedom will come when you finally get your driver's license or you go to college, so no more parents or rules or curfew, or if you're a person who feels overworked, you probably feel like freedom would be two weeks at the beach with no internet access, right? Or if you're a parent here today, you're thinking any minutes or seconds I spend away from my preschooler sounds like freedom, right? But the Bible actually makes it clear that in a big picture sense, no one who lives without restraints is actually free. The key to living a life of freedom is through limits, rules, and restraint. Let me show you a few examples. Proverbs 25, 16, and 17. It says this, if you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you'll vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, and they will hate you. That's in the Bible. You can't make that up, all right? <laughs> Do you see it? I mean, we would, we would just say, like, everything in moderation, right? Like, if you want to enjoy the honey, then just eat a little bit of it. If you want to have friends, then, like, chill out with the all-nighters. It's weird, okay? Restraint in those good things produces a better outcome. Some more examples. Proverbs 21. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. 
Okay, just get the sense of what he's saying. If you want to avoid problems, guard what you say. Have restraint in what you say. It will result in less calamity in your life. Are you catching it? Proverbs 12.1. Here's another example. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. So discipline, like the restraint that comes from being corrected, someone interfering in your life and saying like, oh, look, you're out of bounds. Come back into the, the, the boundaries. That brings knowledge. And, and then it continues. But whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> I don't like being called stupid, especially by the Bible. But this verse calls me stupid because I tend to think that freedom comes when there are no rules. But the trend that we see throughout the book of Proverbs specifically is that freedom is actually found in careful adherence to the right set of rules. So generically speaking, a person plus restraints is what results in freedom in our everyday life. It doesn't matter the person, the age, the background, any person plus restraint is freedom. So what in the world does this have to do with parenting? Here we go. Let's connect it together, okay? So if we're thinking of any person plus restraint meaning freedom, then let's put a child in this, in this box here. What would a child need to result in freedom? If any person plus restraint, well, child, what, what would restraint look like in the life of a child? Well, we, we, we think of it, and this comes through parents, what it results in is a child plus discipline equals Freedom. Now, don't get caught up on that word. We're going we're gonna to define it here in a minute. But if a person plus restraint in the life of a child, that looks like discipline to result in freedom. Restraint, limitations on children's behavior is something I think we all recognize is important. And I'm not necessarily talking about discipline just as consequences for bad behavior. I mean, I do mean that. But I mean it in a broader sense, the applying of any kind of structure onto life and behavior with children. So this could be, discipline could look as simple as like a feeding schedule for an infant or a napping schedule for a toddler or a bedtime routine for an elementary school kid or like a minimum required GPA for a high school student. Anything that imposes structure. Parents are the ones who are intended to provide this for their children, the necessary restrictions to produce freedom. And what we said earlier is that we also know that parenting matters, and now we're discovering why that is. The Bible seems to think that parenting matters because discipline matters. Parenting matters because discipline matters. And this might seem like common sense, but I would say it's only common sense because it was once uncommon sense, and the Bible has had influence on the way that we think and how our culture operates. There is, let me tell you, no shortage of verses in the book of Proverbs about parents and the importance of discipline. No shortage. I will give you a very small sampling of the amount of material that there is, and there's plenty more we could explore. Proverbs 29, 17 says this, discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. At the moment, with the age of our kids, it doesn't always feel like they are pouring on delights <laughs> in our life. But it sounds like key, discipline might be the key to having that happen someday. Uh, Proverbs 23, 13 says, Do not withhold discipline from your child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. By the way, we'll come back to the rod thing. If you just need to replace that with discipline in your head, I get it. It sounds kind of crazy, but let's keep going. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Okay, look at the strength of that language. Discipline is a life or death issue with our kids. This is not just the difference between like a well-adjusted 30-year-old. We're talking about life and death here. Continues on, Proverbs 22, verse 15. 
Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. The default setting on a kid is toward misbehaving. They come right out of the box with the settings programmed toward the wrong decisions. And man, my son Grayson, love him to death, prime example of this, okay? <laughs> right now, we're just starting to like build the framework around obedience, it feels like. But he is totally bent towards sin and rebellion, all right? I have no idea where he got it. He did not get it from me. <laughs> okay, yeah, he definitely did. <laughs> But this kid, he's full of this rebellion stuff. Uh, some prime examples. I, I mean, I'll just give you some quotations of actual conversations that I'm, we're having with Grayson right now. A typical conversation between me and G goes like this. Uh, again, when we need to obey, we remind him a lot um, of a phrase that we stole from somebody else that's, we need to obey all the way, right away, the happy way. Okay, we're saying that all the time. Grayson, we need to obey all the way, right away, the happy way. So when we get into a moment where I'm just like, okay, buddy, look, look at me. Young man, I'll say that all. Young man, I need your eyes. Look at me, okay? You need to pick up your trains. You need to obey. Right away, all the way, the, and I'll ask him to repeat it. He's usually like, happy way. <laughs> I don't think that word means what you think it means, but <laughs> you're not getting it, all right? But we did not have to teach him to be sassy and pouty. That just came right out of him naturally. Or another one, he and I, we're, we're always talking about his goal. We've given him a goal in life, and the goal is to please God and make mommy's life easy. <laughs> so all the time, I ask him, seriously, you go up to G and ask him what his goal is. He'll say, please God, mommy life easy, okay? But so sometimes I'll ask him, you know, like, okay, buddy, you know, we're in a difficult moment here. What's your goal, bud? And he'll go, please God, mommy life easy. I'm like, okay, great. So you, you tell me right now, as you're whining and complaining about eating the applesauce that you requested in an orange container, which your mom graciously has given to you, as you're whining and complaining, are you, are you meeting your goal? He'll go, Grayson not want make mommy's life easy. <laughs> well, congrats, bud, you're killing it. <laughs> um, but all of this, all this is just bound up in the heart of this child. He was born with it. And discipline is designed, I'm hoping, to drive it far from him. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope, and brother needs some hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. I know that there are moments probably where we feel like we want to wring our kid's neck, but we don't mean that seriously. None of us want something bad to happen to our kids. But this verse is saying that when we don't discipline, we are becoming an activist promoting their death. And then Proverbs 13, this one's, less, this one's hard to read. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. I would bet that zero parents listening right now would say they hate their kids if we're being serious. But the fastest way to know if you hate your kids according to the Bible is whether or not you employ discipline. Wow. <laughs> and again, this is just a sampling. So the Bible teaches, seems to, that discipline matters. And parenting matters because discipline is a parent's responsibility. So it comes back to that dynamic that a person plus restraint equals freedom. And the God-given role of parents is to impose this restraint or structure in order to help them become people who can live a life of freedom. Now, I need to make a few comments about discipline so that we're on the same page because I know this is easy to misunderstand. First, these verses and the Bible do not at all condone child abuse. 
okay? Especially as modern readers, we hear anything about rods and children and our minds immediately go to a parent reacting out of anger and abusing their child for no reason and inflicting harm upon their kids. That is not at all what the Bible is talking about. We need to be very clear about that. In no way would the Bible recommend any form of parental discipline out of anger for the purpose of abusing a child. That is always, always wrong. Hard stop. However, the Bible does consistently and strongly recommend forms of discipline that give memorable consequences in order to encourage a change in a child's behavior. Now look, every kid, every situation is different, and honestly, I'm not even really going to go into methods of discipline today because of just our normal time constraints and how complicated that topic is, but we're going to put out some great resources on that this week in the equip email. Use that box on the bottom of your connections card where we can sign you up for that email, and we'll get you some resources to think that topic through. But suffice it to say, if you're a parent who isn't helping your child to see the folly of their own behavior through meaningful consequences, the Bible says... You hate them. I know that my wife Lauren and I have used just about every discipline method in the book with our two short years that we've had Grayson to work on this principle. Um, And it's just a difficult thing to work through. But another thing we have to recognize with discipline is that corrective discipline is not the only kind of discipline that exists. When the Bible is referencing, it doesn't just mean consequences for bad behavior. I think we could impose other types of discipline in the life of our kids in order to Help them achieve the goal of developing a habit of wisdom and discernment and good habits. This doesn't just come from being told, no, get your hand out of the cookie jar. As parents, it also comes as we help establish good, you know, nutritional meals at dinner, not just saying no to the cookie when they've already had 10, right? Parents have a vital role in providing structure and discipline, not just consequences, Parents are the primary means that the restraint that we all eventually need enters into the life of a child, and the Bible is super clear on that. But what's the goal? Like as a parent, uh, what what am I trying to do? Are we just going to discipline our kids so that for the rest of our lives we have to hover over them watching their every single move? I sure hope not, because that sounds exhausting and terrible. (laughs) But the goal, that's not the goal of discipline, thankfully. The goal of discipline is actually self-discipline. As we're disciplining our kids, the goal is self-discipline. The goal of correcting them is self-correction. I mean, here's what Proverbs says in Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and then even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Again, principle, not a promise. It's not a guarantee, but we get the idea. As we impose discipline and restraint on a child over time, the goal is that we we would no longer have to impose certain rules or structures because the child will become responsible for their own behavior. Uh, Like with a toddler, it's important. It's very important that you show them not to touch a hot stove, right? You go over and over and over the importance of this, but somewhere along the line, they will, it seems to me, inevitably touch the hot stove, and then there will be this meltdown, and everyone's crying, and mom and dad feel horrible, and the kid is screaming. It's just like this total disaster. But you continue to impose the rule. Don't touch the hot stove, and and now they've maybe learned a little bit. But if your teenager touches the hot stove, you don't feel bad for them. (laughs) Right? You're way past the threshold of self-discipline at that point. You probably haven't reminded them of that rule in like a decade. So when your 16-year-old touches the hot stove, it's like, that's on you, bro. (laughs) 
But that's because if we go back to the chart from earlier, when we're thinking about this, a person plus restraint equals freedom. So for a child, that means discipline is what equals freedom. But what do we do when this is no longer a child? This is an adult. What's, what's our goal here? Well, we're, not, we're looking for restraint, but we aren't looking to do the discipline. What we're hoping for is self-discipline, right? That's what we're looking for, that in this formula, that eventually this child would become an adult and restraint would enter their life in the form of self-discipline. And to be honest, that's kind of the definition of being an adult in the first place, is having self-discipline. As a parent, what we're striving for is that the influencing hand of, decision, of, of discipline would eventually be replaced by the hand of self-discipline and self-correction. So rather than telling them to brush their teeth at night, they just do it on their own. Rather than having to force them to be home by 11 p.m., they just come home because they have to be in bed for work tomorrow. Rather than demanding church attendance from your middle schooler, eventually they're demanding church attendance from their middle schooler and acting like it was their idea in the first place. Nobody, nobody is running the race of parenting hoping to stay in complete control of their children's lives for their whole lives. We're all kind of hoping that sometime we get to a place where they're able to make the right call on their own. We're hoping that they become self-disciplined as a result of the imposed discipline of their childhood. And by the way, if you're a kid here today, meaning if at all you live under the rule of your parents' um, authority right now, you might be surprised to find out that self-discipline is all they're hoping for right? Uh, you, 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 that you would just do this stuff on your own. So if you want to know, seriously, how to get your parents off of your back and have them stop nagging you about all this stuff, let me give you a pro tip right now, okay? Lean in, high schoolers. Clean your room before they ask, and they will never ask again. <laughs> huh? Yeah? Seriously. Come home before curfew. They will never give you another curfew fight again. Seriously, it just won't happen anymore. Uh, you'll amaze. If you choose the right thing on your own, it's incredible how quickly your parents become reasonable. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. Check it out. And if you're in that adulting phase where it's not really clear if you're an adult yet, like maybe you're in college or just a little bit past college or whatever, and you're still like in and around with your parents, and it's not clear, like, am I an adult? Am I a kid? Like, I'm not really sure. Um, if you, let me just say, it's probably a good time to take a self-inventory of your level of self-discipline at this phase of your life. If you need a ton of imposed structure on your life in order to just get like basic things done, um, that's kind of the definition of still being a child, okay? If you feel like you're not being taken seriously at this stage of your life, just a suggestion, this might be why. I'm not really even being sarcastic. I'm being serious. I mean this for me too. We need to develop self-discipline in order to be taken seriously as adults. That's sort of the hallmark of adulthood. But how do we do that? How does anybody develop self-discipline? What's the source of this kind of ability to sort of like see a situation and self-correct, to course-correct on your own? Like how am I supposed to show my kids if I don't have it myself? Is there a pill I can take? Is there a drink I can drink? Like what do I have to do to have this? I think that's a great question, and I think Proverbs has an awesome answer for that as well. Let's check it out in Proverbs 3, starting in verse 21. It says this, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. So he's saying, go after wisdom, go hard after it. Why? Because they will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety. Your, your foot won't even stumble. When you lie down, you're not going to be afraid. 
When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin. That overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your sight and will keep your foot from being snared. The, the author is saying, look, make sure you get wisdom. Why? Well, because if you do, then you'll live in the freedom that comes from the ability to self-correct. You're going to avoid the problems that come to people who are wicked, and you'll literally sleep better at night. Wisdom is the key to the kind of self-disciplined life. It's the source of self-discipline and obedience to God. And so really, that should be our job as parents. We should be pointing the way to wisdom as often as possible. We are laying down the tracks that our kids can run on toward a life that pleases God. And we do that by making it clear to them what matters most to us. And that is pleasing God. Or maybe in like in a more practical sense, because pleasing God sort of sounds ethereal, we want them to get wisdom. Pleasing God, getting wisdom, those are the same thing. The author of Proverbs, he just bleeds this sentiment all over the pages. A very cursory reading of the book of Proverbs will leave you with the conclusion that the author is very serious about his kids pursuing wisdom. Check this out. Proverbs chapter 4. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. That's a true parent moment right there. Okay, look at me. Enough Fortnite. Look, we're done. Come on. I need your eyes. Get wisdom. Though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go, kids. Guard it well. Why? It is your life. Do you see what I mean? This is just a tiny taste of the dozens of times throughout this book that he is pleading with his kids, would you please chase after wisdom? Please chase pleasing God. And so just as a side note, for us as parents, what do you think your kids would say you are desperate for them to do? Is it get good grades? For me in this phase, is it just stop whining, you know? Is it to get a scholarship so you can afford college? Is it take better senior pictures than other people? Parents, is it for them to go down two dress sizes? When it comes down to it, what seems to be the priority that you are pushing them to pursue. How would your kids answer this question? Mom and dad would be so proud of me if I were to just. Is it seek wisdom? If not, why not? Are the tracks that you're laying for your kids, is that future headed toward wisdom or an athletic scholarship? Because wisdom is the source of self-discipline. That's just a thought. Self-discipline is the key to a life of freedom that comes ultimately from pleasing God. As parents, the wisdom that we have, that we were given from God, from his word, from living and understanding the gospel, that was meant for us to pass on to our children, to lay a foundation for them to be able to please God. So what is our priority? What do we want them to get? It needs to be wisdom. And as you've walked with God, as you've investigated his word and lived in community, you've gained wisdom. Many of you, most of you have so much more wisdom about life and parenting than I do at this phase. So much more wisdom. And we need to be using that wisdom to pass it on to our kids. Wisdom, we have to understand this, it was meant to be shared. Wisdom was meant to be shared. Our job as parents is to share wisdom through discipline. To pass on through discipline to our kids the wisdom of what we know to be true about the world as we've lived and walked with God and we've known his word and we've evaluated our life experiences. 
so that someday our kids will be people of wisdom who will pass on to their kids the wisdom of God's word and pleasing him and pass on to their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids and you get the cycle. Wisdom was meant to be shared. And just like we learned last week and the week before, wisdom is ultimately found in a right view of God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So as parents, what we have to understand is that when we view God properly, priority number one, when we view God properly, we have access to wisdom. And when we gain wisdom, we're ready to live a life of self-discipline, which we can pass then on to our kids in the form of discipline. Okay, so what what are we going to (laughs) do? What can we practically do as parents as we're walking away today on Father's Day? The first step, I would say, is very simple. It is to get wisdom. As parents, we must get wisdom. I mean, how can we share what we don't have, right? As parents, we should be on a lifelong pursuit of gaining more and more wisdom in God's word through evaluated life experience. And so as a sub-point for this, if you need to get wisdom, which we all do, I think we kind of need to make a plan to get wisdom, right? This starts ultimately with the fear of the Lord. So maybe your first step for gaining wisdom as a parent is actually to formulate a proper view of God. Maybe you never thought that that would be integral to parenting. It is. Maybe you need to begin exploring God's word. Maybe you've never done that. We have a great environment called Starting Point at all of our campuses, ready to help you explore basic and fundamental questions of your view of God. It is truly vital if you want to raise kids who love Jesus to have a right view of God because wisdom starts with viewing God properly. And then it builds with a commitment to being in his word. Maybe you're working through the Proverbs plan. That's awesome. Don't stop. Keep doing that. You can sign up for any of this, whether it's Equip or the Proverbs reading plan or a starting point, all on the connections card on the bottom of your program. But where wisdom really starts to show up in our lives is how we model self-restraint. So do your kids have any sense of how to control themselves from you? How to control their anger, their finances, their arguments, their gossip, their work relationships? As parents, we need to model what a life of self-restraint looks like. And I'm talking to me, believe me. How can they pursue a goal that they've never seen? How could Grayson and Lincoln become men that please God if not through my example? I need to get a plan for developing self-restraint. So as parents, we need to get wisdom. And then finally, the last step we need to take is to share wisdom. We need to get wisdom and share it. We're not getting wisdom for no apparent reason. We're not going to become sages, grow out our beards, and sit on top of a mountain for people to come listen to us. This is practical. We need to get wisdom to pass it on. It was meant to be shared. So we need to plan for getting wisdom. We need to plan for sharing that wisdom, for sharing that wisdom with our kids, specifically through discipline. And maybe it might be as simple as choosing to embrace this in your parenting strategy. Maybe you've gone the more permissive route. I get that. It's so easy and tempting, hard to be consistent. But I would strongly encourage you to reconsider. Don't be a willing party to your kid's death as the Bible would say it. Be willing to explore discipline as a means of sharing wisdom with your kids. Ask yourself, if my goal is to see my children someday hold themselves accountable to the standards that we collectively hold to be valuable, what do I need to implement today? What conversations do I need to have over the next 10 years to set my kids up to become that person? Maybe your kids are older. It could just be a conversation about sex or relationships or money or self-control. Maybe your kids are younger, so it just looks like clear boundaries and consistent consequences when they're crossed. Regardless of the ages of your kids, one great way to share wisdom is to put them in contact with other wise people who will say the same things that you're saying, but they will be a different person that your kid might actually want to listen to. 
We have environments for all ages at our church designed specifically to put your child in contact with wise people who will reinforce the wisdom of the Bible and to partner with you as parents. Kids ministry and NYM, in my mind, are an absolutely non-negotiable part of godly parenting as part of Northridge Church. If you have not engaged, if you have not begun to serve, if you've not gotten the monthly blogs or the check-ins from small group leaders, whatever it is, engage. Why would you miss out on a chance to have someone else help share wisdom in the life of your child? It's non-negotiable. Maybe your next step is simply going to your community group leader and going, I have no idea what I'm doing. I get it. I'm doing that. We all are at a loss sometimes, and we can do this together. As parents, we need to get wisdom. We need to share wisdom. We want to see our kids have self-discipline. We want to see them please God. We feel like we're failing all the time. I'm convinced. By God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through what he did through his son, we can do this. We can have wisdom, and we can do it together. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your love for us. You're an incredible father. You're the perfect father. You set aside your love for your son in order to allow him to die, in order to bring us into your family, and you discipline us so consistently. You love us so thoroughly, and you chase us no matter what. And I pray that we would be parents like you are parents to us, and that though imperfectly, we would model your grace to our kids. In Christ's name, amen. Happy Father's Day.